Hey everyone, and welcome to the 30th episode of the Cross Border Interview Podcast. My name is Christopher Brown, and I will be your host. Since the launch of this podcast, I've been asked the exact same thing. Why are you doing this podcast? And I give everyone the exact same answer. This podcast is about talking to people in an intimate setting and just having a discussion. Today, we often find ourselves often becoming keyboard warriors and have forgotten the lost art of having a conversation. So, With that in mind, in mid-2019, I started this podcast to achieve one goal. Get people talking again. With no notes, no prepared questions, I sit down with subjects to learn about them from them. And today's guest is no exception to that. Today, I chat with former MLA for Red Deer South, Barb Miller. Barb and I talk about her duty to serve, that 2015 election, serving in the Legislative Assembly, and also the 2019 election. So, with that being said, here is Cross Border Interviews featuring Barb Miller. Perfect timing. Perfect. Um... Barb, thank you very much for doing this. Um, my my first question I usually ask people is, where did your sense of duty come from? Um, I was raised with the premise that you don't just beak off about stuff; you put up or shut up. I didn't like what was happening. So, did was that instilled upon by your mother and father? Yep. Were they political? No. No? So what is your no. poli- where did your political mind come from? Uh, it just came out of nowhere. <laughs> I walked my first picket line in 1969. Do you know do you remember what you were picketing? It was the meat cutter strike in BC. We went to visit relatives and we stopped for lunch and I wanted to see what was going on, so they had lunch and I had my own picket sign and everything. So, so for those who, for those who might not know, what what was the strike about? The meat pickers. Um, It was more about um, protections. It wasn't wages. It was about safety. Safety and everything. Okay, so so you the the bug hit you in '69. You said it was. Yeah. So how how does a girl who goes on her first picket line in '69 go from running uh, from there to running into a provincial campaign in 2015? So um, were you like did you after that first picket line that you were walked on? Did you get involved other ways as well with other unions or were well, you? I- many a picket line um i was pregnant with my second with my first in a stroller when the late albert johnson from ufcw 1118 told me that maybe i better leave the gainers picket line and go home because his words all hell's gonna break loose and about 20 minutes later it did and did did you actually go home though yeah Wow. And so what was that about? What was that? Do you remember, like, what happened around that issue? Why did all hell break loose? Oh, it was just um, they were the trucks were running into the people on the picket lines. And it was really nasty. 
Oh, um, so yeah. So that's so that's that's where your spark came from was from picketing. So did you get political though? Like uh, picket uh, picketing and political are two different things. So were you involved in like federal campaigns during this time as well, provincial campaigns, or were you more just you know what I'm going to stand up for the people who aren't being stood up for, so I'll picket. But politics isn't my thing. Um. I worked on campaigns. I worked on uh, Terry Kirkland's campaign in Leduc okay. years ago. And uh, he was teasing me one day and he says, you know, maybe you should get into politics. And I said, you will never see me run for politics. And then after I was elected, he was up in the gallery one day. So why not? Why, why didn't you ever want to run for politics? Because I didn't think it was me. I was more behind the scenes. You were behind the scenes. So, yeah. so let let's talk about that 2015 campaign. It was that was the first time you had put your name on a ballot. Then I'm assuming, correct? Yeah. So I was going to run federally. So in the October election, you were going to run. Yeah. And then uh, they asked me if I'd run provincially. And was it a no-brainer? Sure, whatever, I'll run. Like, what's the worst that could happen? I could win, but... Well, um, I was basically told, you don't have a snowball's chance in hell of winning, so don't worry about it. And they said, don't do anything. Well, you don't tell me not to do anything. So I didn't tell anybody at work. Um... I got all of my signatures, then I was at the AFL convention, and Brad LaFortune kept coming up to me and saying, you know, your numbers went up again. What are you doing? I'm not doing anything. Why are my numbers going up? But all the polling, my numbers were going up. Oh. And then um, I would leave work, and then I would hit the doors. And it was just Stephen Maradou and I, and we hit a lot of doors. I got called some vile names, and because I you were, was because you were running for the NDP, or why? Oh, yeah. Oh yeah. Apparently, I was contaminating people's yards, and they'd have to fumigate because I'd been. Oh, it was there was some really nasty people. Oh geez. And then there was some really supportive people, and uh, because I, like. I, like like you said, um, most people didn't like you weren't expected to go to the polls or go to an election in May of that year because they had a year left in their term. So mm-hmm. when they asked you and you, you decided to go federally as well. But did you have an issue that you wanted to raise? Was there something missing in Red Deer that you wanted to, like, at least advocate for, even though you said they were telling you you had a snowball's chance in hell of winning? Was there an issue that you wanted to advocate and you wanted to say, you know what, this needs to be heard during a debate or at the doorstep? Well, being a cashier at Safeway, which is now an essential service, um, I saw a lot of seniors struggling. They either got food or they got their prescriptions, one or the other. And they were going to bring back health care premiums. That's what Prentice was talking about. Prentice was talking about uh, increasing the co-pays. Seniors couldn't afford that. You know, the ones that are just living from hand to mouth, there was no way. And someone had to speak up for them. And then uh, the schools 
my granddaughter was in kindergarten and going into grade one. And how can you go into grade one with 30 kids in a classroom and there was going to be no aids? You can't do that. So, like my dad said, put up or shut up. So you put your name so forward. So, so like you, as your story was going, you were out there after work each day, knocking on doors with you and Sue. Well, like you, you said, you got called some nasty things, and but you were some positive things as well. When you were hearing the positive things, were you saying, I could actually win this? Or were you still thinking from that person, you have a snowball's chance in hell, so there's no point of, like, even entertaining the idea that I might win? See, I was lucky. I had Siobhan Vipond and Brad LaFortune on my side. Because being the president of the Labour Council, I knew all the the Labour people. Um, The... uh, what was the union? Uh, the machinists. Okay. I am. I am a. Whatever it is, Jason Rockwell and his group, mm-hmm. and uh, they put money forward to help me get campaign materials because I had nothing. Like there was they there were, in a constituent association at the time then. Yep, Stephen Meridu. He was basically. Chief Cook and Bottle Washer. He was running North and South campaigns. Oh wow! So you guys were yeah. you guys were close to Kim then. So at what point during the campaign did you actually realize that the NDP are actually potentially going to be forming government here? Was it not until election night, or was there a moment during the campaign when? Um, I had, it was probably two weeks before the election, I got a phone call from uh, Brad LaFortune, and he said, someone's going to be phoning you, and make sure you take the call. And I don't know who paid for it, but I ended up with a campaign manager. Oh, wow. John Zupa out of uh, NDP in Saskatchewan, he came and ran my campaign. Like in the middle of the campaign, beginning of the campaign? In the middle of the campaign, like they called him, told him what the numbers were, and he says, I'll call you back. Let me think on it for a couple of days. He called them back within hours. Oh, wow. And said, I'm on my way. Wow. So th- that's the moment you went, okay, this is getting real? Yeah, that's when I knew. So um, take, like, so the election keeps on going on, and then that de- the debate, the, fe- the leader's debate was the turning point for most people, I would say, in the election, when the math is hard comment came out of Jim Prentice's, <laughs> the late Jim Prentice's mouth. Um, when you were talking to people on the doorstep then, were people mentioning that? Were people actually saying, you know what, we we like Rachel Notley? Or was it more, we like you, Barb, because we know you? You know, and this is funny, this is where the Barb from Safeway came from. I'd go to the door, and this one couple, they yelled out, okay, I won the bet, it is Barb from Safeway, yep, we're voting for you, we know who you are. Oh, really? 
Yeah. Oh wow! So you had that. So that 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 the actual fact that they had a local candidate and people knew you, you you, you garnered more votes that way too. Yeah, and then when Rachel came for the rally, they just got a really tiny hole because they thought, well, maybe they'll get 20, maybe 30 people. And there's over 250 people there. Jeez. In a snowstorm. Wow. Yeah. That's awesome, though, because um, so election night happened. So May, I think it's May 5th, election night. Mm-hmm. Are you nervous? Are you going, you know what? I'm going to do this. Because at this point in time, you have people showing up. You have a campaign manager. You're hearing good things on the door. Are you saying, you know what? I'm going to win this. Well, they sent me home. And uh, my daughter and my grandkids were living with us. And I'm doing the bedtime ritual with them. And Stephen phones me and he says, Barb, you have to get down to the 111 grill now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll just finish. He says, no, there's reporters waiting for you. You have to get down here. I hadn't even been watching for my name on the thing. But I saw Shannon Phillips and I'm like, oh, my God, Shannon's in government. Just so excited. And then all these other people I knew. And I guess Shannon, in the middle of her speech, saw my my name go across and she says, oh, God, Barb's in government with me. And nobody had a clue who Barb was. But we'd been worked together with the AFL. So you got told that you won on the actual on TV by Shannon Phillips well no Shannon did that in her speech but I guess it had come down by the time this time like I hadn't been paying attention because my grandkids it was time for them to go to bed and so I was more worried about that and get the phone call from Stephen and I hang up and my daughter says to me she says mom you've got to go you knew you know you won and I looked at her. I says, oh, I guess I better go get ready. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's awesome. So so you get down there. Is there a large gathering there as well when you're there? Oh, it is packed. Absolutely packed. Um, Stephen literally had to grab my husband and I to drag us through the media. I don't know where all this media came from. I'd never seen that amount of media in Red Deer ever. <laughs> wow. And... Yeah. So so you've officially become government. At this time, did you know that Kim was uh, elected as well? No. No? So Kim, No, Kim didn't get um, declared till about an hour and a half later. Oh wow. So you were so you had to sort of tone down your excitement because you didn't know where Kim was standing. Yeah. So he, Red Deer goes orange for the first time ever. Mm-hmm. Um, you are a cashier who's now a sitting MLA. What's mm-hmm. the first thought that goes through your mind? Oh, crap. <laughs> what have I gotten myself into? Or No, actually, my first thought was uh, because I had the uh, my next scheduled shift was the Thursday, which was my health and safety meeting day. And. I had to be at work that day because I had to hold my health and safety meeting and do my store inspection and everything. I had to tie up all my loose ends. Going to the ledge was second. It was deal with my commitments are first. 
So that 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 meeting must have been a little bit more uh, interesting compared to uh, your previous ones. Well, yeah, I, I went in and the store manager says, what are you doing here? I said, uh, duh, it's health and safety meeting day. <laughs> so he wasn't expecting you to show up at all. No. Okay. <laughs> well, interesting. Um, so you get to, uh, so yeah, I'm assuming you have to take a leave of absence from work. Yep. And you decide, okay, I have to go to Edmonton now because we're government, so we have to start the process of getting going. Yeah. You meet your 54 other colleagues for the first time, and one of them I want to talk about a little bit here because of her untimely passing just two days Aaron. ago. Aaron. So um, uh, for our listeners, this is coming out in two, three weeks. Um, Aaron Babcock, the member of uh, the Legislative Assembly for Spruce... No, uh... Yes, Spruce, Spruce Grove Stony, Stony Plain. Spruce Grove State of Stony Plain has just passed away. Um, Barb, what was she like? Aaron was like family. She treated everyone the way she wanted to be treated. Um, if she got pissed off about something, she let the person know it, and then it was done. But she was one of the funniest, kindest, most amazing women I have ever met. I'm sorry for your loss, and I know uh, Ricardo took it hard as well. Um, uh, I, I only met her once or twice, uh, twice, and I can tell you that she left a lasting impression on me. And uh, this province is uh, a little bit more uh, less full today because of her, because she was a unique character from the times that I met her and the stories that she would tell. And I can imagine working with her for four years was you, you considered part of the family. Yeah. Um. When when you met all fifty four of your new colleagues, what, what what was it like? Was it a more uh, jove, uh, more happy atmosphere, or was it a uh, uh, let's get down to work because we've got big shoes to fill because we're taking we just took over from a forty four year old government. Um, it was a little of both. I was fortunate because I knew some of the people through the labor council. And uh, some some people I just totally hit it off with right away, like Ricardo. Oh my God, Rachel separated us. I'm serious, I'm convinced she did because when Ricardo was on one side, I had to be on the other. Because if we sat together, we chatted and chatted and chatted. Well, that's awesome though, but you know what? That's what good friends do, right? They just chat yeah. up a storm and they hope for the best. Um, yeah. So let's let's talk about your swearing in. When you stood up, stood on the floor of the legislative assembly for the first time as an elected MLA, what what was going through your head? What was going through my head? Who who was there with you when you got sworn in? If you don't mind me asking. Um. My husband, his dad and stepmom, and my daughter. 
was and what what was going through your head at that moment? I was thinking I have to do everything I can not just for my peeps in Red Deer but for whoever needs help. Um, I got the nickname of Caucus Mum because I always checked are you okay you know is something bothering you do you need help with I was I was the caretaker I'm the one who brought in cookies all the time that kind of stuff I just you looked you looked after people yeah well that's awesome and I'm thinking I've got a lot of people in Red Deer I've got to look after but it didn't matter if someone phoned me from Pincher Creek and they needed help, I would get them the help. The first while I had no no help, no one in the office, so I was literally working from six in the morning till 10, 11 at night. When I finally got access to my office, and access to the Red Deer South email. I had over 2,500 emails. Wow. And I answered every single one of them. All by yourself? All by myself. That's dedication, Barb. I can imagine that uh, um, whenever someone gets into politics, it it must be hard on the family life. So I can imagine that family life took a backseat for a while. It did. And when my granddaughter said to me, this was day 42 in, she says, she got up, I came home and she got up to get a drink of water. She says, oh, hi, Grandma. Do you still live here? That probably tugged on the heartstrings there a bit, didn't it? Just about killed me. So how long into how long into your uh, term did you go until you had an actual staff in Red Deer helping you? Uh, just about the end of June. So two months. Yeah. Wow. So. And then did it get easier or? Uh, because I'm assuming you wanted to make sure that everyone knew that you were there for everyone and not just the people who voted for you. So did it become easier or did the job get harder? Um, The parts of the job that were hard was the death threats. Did you actually get some? Oh, I got a lot of them. No. Yeah. The first ones... uh, were on Remembrance Day at the Cenotaph. I was laying the wreath and someone threatened to kill me. And then they followed me down the street threatening to kill me. Um, I had a fake Facebook page and a fake Twitter account, which was the Twitter one was really funny because I didn't know how to tweet. I had a Twitter account, but there'd only been one tweet. And uh, Jason Rockwell had taught me how to tweet or whatever it is back in uh, 2009. And that was the only tweet that had ever gone off that account. Wow. So um, then there's this fake one. People were just going insane. But Lori from uh, Rachel's office got the two accounts shut down. But uh, when I voted in favor of the GSA bill, 
someone threatened to go after my grandkids. They were going to my grandkids' school. No. I was summoned by security up to the sergeant at arms office, and they made me sit down and tell me. Uh, had so, someone so try to push past my husband to get in the house. Looking for me. Oh my God. I'm sorry, but people are stupid and um, no one deserves that at all. So I can imagine the toll that it took on you. How did, how did you keep going? Because I, I'm sorry, but after one death threat, I get my arms up after two or three and people actually threatening the livelihoods of my family members. I'd be furious. Oh, I was. But you turn that anger around and you just push through it. You have to. But still, like, so you, you, hear, you heard the worst from people. Did you hear the good from people eat too? You know, I had a gentleman phone me. This was when I had no staff and I was all by myself. And this guy phoned and he said, I've got a problem. He said, I need to get medication for my daughter. If she doesn't get it, she'll die. He says, I'm out of work. I've got no EI. I can't get welfare. He said, I don't know what to do. And so we had numbers that we could call to get in to Alberta Works, and I contacted them. They contacted the guy. He phoned me back a couple hours later, said he was on his way to the drugstore to get the medication for his daughter. And he says, you just saved her life. That's why I did what I did. And... And I apologize if this is bringing up bad like memories, and I I, I I know that you're emotional when you're talking about this because I would be too. Um, do you look back on your time, your four years in government, and um, wish you were able to help more people? I do, but. You just have to realize it wasn't meant to be. And you guys fought an uphill battle the moment you were elected. And I think anyone will openly admit that, that the moment you were elected, uh, the right of the political spectrum were gunning for you and trying to figure out how to make you a one term government. Um, yeah. But you guys did a lot of good things. We got, you know, it's funny. One of the first people I met with was Jim Foster. He was a former uh, solicitor general for Alberta with the PC party. And he came to me and he said, we need a courthouse. He said, they can't build onto this courthouse. The footings aren't deep enough. He says, I've been fighting for it for 26 years. He says, when I was in office, I couldn't get it. We got the new courthouse, the new Justice Center for Red Deer. Wow. I was the one who got to phone the mayor and say, oh, by the way, Tara, we're getting a new courthouse in Red Deer. Well, that's awesome. 
So it must make you a little bit more sentimental when you drive around Red Deer and uh, the uh, rural communities that you also represented and see the things that you had a hand in helping and uh, putting uh, put uh, helping grow Red Deer to the community that it is today. Well, that interchange that was shovel ready for 10 years. We got the interchange. Wow. And that was a death trap. Which interchange is that one? The one at the south of Red Deer going to Gasoline Alley. Oh, really? That's only like that was just introduced when you guys were in government? Yeah, it was a shovel ready project for 10 years. So the bridge was there and off, right? Uh, no, they changed the whole thing. Oh, I did not know that. Shows you how much oh, I paid attention or how much I actually went down to Calgary while I was living up in Slave Lake. Um, and then university status at Red Deer College. That was huge. This was their third go at it, trying to get it. And I got to announce it. The new name. Which is now Red Deer... It's going to be Red Deer University once they finish their transition paperwork. Which is always sad, too, because uh, when politicians are defeated or they leave office, they never get to see the final product of some things that they started, right? While in office, they they will see it when they're a private citizen, but it must be hard to know that your work and your dedication and your push to get all these things are going to be credited to somebody else now. Yeah, yes or n- yes and no. Um, like, uh, we had a middle school, West Park Middle School, that was up for renovation. And a renovation would have been more costly than a whole new build. And I sat down with David Egan and we discussed the pros and cons. So, They did a whole new build. The kids got to help design it. And the kids that are going there now, when they come into Safeway, they come up and say, you know, Emily Miller, we love our new school. That's awesome. So even the kids were appreciative of your your dedication to the community. I loved working with the kids. Well, it sounds like you did. Um, So being from a not urban center like Calgary and Edmonton, you had to travel back and forth to uh, Edmonton almost every week when there was caucus meetings uh, during session. Was it hard? Yeah. Was it hard to go back and forth? Like as a grandmother, as a because like you said, your granddaughter had just asked you, do you still live here? What was the hardest part about being a uh, traveling MLA like you didn't live as far as Lethbridge or Medicine Hat or Peace River but going back and forth must have been taking a toll on you as well it was tough because my husband didn't come with me every week most of the time he stayed in Red Deer because we had a little dog at the time um, and then you know just going back and forth it was interesting <laughs> You must you, you must have seen see, Oh go ahead. You got to see some really strange things. 
like on Sundays, I had to change what time I went into town because there was someone that came on at Wetaskiwin every Sunday reading a book as she drove. I was going to say, was it Bruce? Was it Bruce coming in from Wetaskiwin? <laughs> like right on his, her steering wheel, she had a book holder. Oh, wow. And she scared the bejesus out of me every time she came on. So I started changing the time. And some of them, a lot of MLAs came in Monday morning, but I like to be prepared. So I'd get everything ready. And then I'd be first thing in the morning, I'd be at my ledge office. Did you get, um, and I mean this with all due respect, did you get flack for being a cashier as an MLA? Um. Did people like say, oh, you don't know what you're doing because you're just a cashier uh, from residence? Or did people not look at it that way? Because I know some people like got that backlash. Oh, you're just this or you're just that. Like, you don't really know what you're doing. You're you're just you're nobody. Yep. Got that a lot. And what's really funny, a couple of weeks ago, someone who said that to my face came to the line at Safeway and said, you know, I know you're a Safeway cashier, but I'm glad you're here. And it's someone who said, what are you doing in politics? You're just a Safeway cashier. I used to get it at the market all the time. Wow. <laughs> you just went mute. Everyone is equal in the at the end of the day. Sorry, I yep. I was scratching my beard and I hit the mute button by accident. Um, you during your time, is there things that you wanted to do more of that you couldn't have? The one thing that I wish they had have announced before the election was the Red Deer Hospital expansion because that was desperate need for that yeah. and we have been for forever but in hindsight's 50 50 it's one of those you could have would have should have but it yeah. it's hard to announce something in the past um so that four years as an mla uh before we talk about the 2019 election you must have met some interesting characters you must have met some interesting uh people do do you still see those people and say and uh, follow up with them who are uh, who came to you at looking for advice, looking for help and say, oh, how's X or what did you ever do about Y issue? You know, I see people that I helped and met at the farmer's market and I see them at the store all the time. Like the other day, we were just absolutely slammed. And this lady stopped at the end of my tail and she yelled out, go NDP. And walked on. Wow. Um, but yeah, I get <laughs> people every week asking me, are you going to put your name forward again? And what do you tell them? <laughs> Say, I don't know. Really? You don't I know. I don't know. Wow. I really don't know. 
So that 2019 election, well, the our, our story, we had met each other once before, but our story sort of collides at the Red Deer Canadian uh, Winter Games. Uh, yep. How was that hosting that uh, for your community? Like it, it was a big event. Like I, I was just in awe about how much things, how many things were going on during that weekend. So how was it from your perspective to have the Winter Games in Red Deer? You be the sitting MLA for part of the city to host the world, the country in uh, your community. It was absolutely huge. Um, I felt like I had roller skates on. <laughs> because I've never been to so many functions in my life. Well, I shouldn't say that. One night we had to go to 13 functions when we were sitting. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> but it did you hear good reception afterwards? Like, oh, it was it was great to have the community. Thank you for helping us bring the community together to bring this to the community? No. Really? Because the province had a hand in supporting that, didn't they? Of course they didn't. They did, but... (laughs) No one ever thought so? Yeah. Yeah, and that's that's the downside, right? It's people... And and I don't want to base this on uh, an assumption, but most people don't know where funding comes for for projects right they think it's just a magical hat that people pull money out of and they do it they don't realize things are federal things are provincial things are municipal things are all three levels so that must have irked you a bit that people didn't always understand that while you're an MLA and it might not look like you are bringing great things to this community, you are bringing great things to this community. It's just the advertisement of what is being brought isn't always there, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and a lot of it is there's um, some people that I worked really closely with. Um, they were definitely blue. Um, not fans of our government, but that didn't matter. I worked with them, did fun, like got them grants and everything. And the head of that committee comes into the store at least twice a week. And not once has he acknowledged when I've said hello. Wow. Wow. Um, another very prominent woman in Red Deer. I was on the street as she drove by. She stopped her vehicle, backed up, rolled down the window and said, oh, if it isn't the loser. No. A very prominent person in this city. And I was like, oh, my God. So, and I I hate to segue like this, but... Speaking of losing, the 2019 election uh, was called. Um, that election was nasty. I will be the first to admit. What was what was the atmosphere on the ground in Red Deer for yourself? It was vicious. Really? It was vicious. Um, signs were stolen constantly. Um, they were defaced. They were... Because I remember, if I'm not mistaken, um, I think it was either it was either Red Deer North or South. I'm not sure which one. I think it was South. Someone's car got vandalized. Yep, Red Deer South. Was that Red Deer South? So yep. that was a supporter of yours, right? 
Well, she supported our campaign, but she couldn't even vote because she wasn't a voting citizen. And for those who don't remember it, um, just take me through what, what what happened in this incident, because uh, I, I don't know the full details and I just want to be reca- get my mind refreshed while you tell our listeners what what actually happened. Um, they had one of my signs on their lawn and when they got up, someone had scratched really nasty things in the side of their car. With like permanently, it's not like someone took spray paint and did it. They like took a nail or something. Yeah. Politics should never get that far. Even if you disagree with someone, you still have the you you do not have the right to do anything bad like that to somebody. Uh, have you do not have the right to do anything bad like that to anyone? I should say. Um, it. Was it worse for you to see this happening to other people? Because you had been the blunt of it for the the majority of your time in office. But now other people were having this done to them and they were just honestly supporting you. Oh, I was, I was just I was horrified, just absolutely horrified. Um, Did you get any calls from any of the other candidates say, sorry, this happened to you like this? This shouldn't have happened or because I don't remember reading anything like that. And I would have called. We we weren't allowed to publicize it. Really? Vandalism. We were told, no, you don't mention it. From the party. They told you not to mention it. Yeah. Like um, we had, you know, those great big signs they had of Rachel. Yeah. People were going around cutting out her eyes in the signs. Now, it, politics is so divisive now. You know, um, it was just, we had on video camera from different people's doorbell cams, someone going down streets, taking all my signs. We had one street, both sides, every house except one had my signs on it. And every night someone would come through the same lady and steal the signs. Did you ever catch who did that? I don't know if they did. Okay. But you could only report it. And there was a lot of lies during that campaign from the other side as well. Um, How did you fight that? Like, because when you go to knock on a door, I'm assuming you heard the best and the worst in and from the extremes on both sides. Oh, we love you. Put up a sign and then get the hell off my property. I can tell you that when I was door knocking, I got told to get off my property, get off their property or I'll shoot you. So I can imagine that uh, when you were trying to combat the misinformation that the, the other side was putting out, it was hard because people did not want to listen because they were so entrenched in their ways. Yes, um, but I had problems with the material that they sent us that we were or that we purchased to uh, distribute. What we were shown isn't what came, and I refused to put out all that negative stuff. Like the campaign was way too negative. Like the the from your party that was way too negative. Yeah, the sen- 
the stuff that central was it was way too negative and because Red Deer isn't that negative of a town. Like people, people seem to go about their business from the few times that I've been there. So, and it seems like you don't uh, want to engage in uh, nasty politics either. So, how? Like, oh, go ahead. We had uh, over the four years, we had a list of places that you knew you didn't knock on their doors because these people were definitely hostile yeah and for those who don't know during a sitting in my lesbians uh when i helped out with an mpp back in ontario um during your time in government you're just not going to edmonton and coming back and sitting and talking to residents it's you actually going out to them and knocking on their door for four years and getting information and seeing how you're doing because the voter engagement is one of the best things that an mla can do right Mm-hmm. so that list that you're talking about is uh, has uh, identified supporters, identified uh, conservatives, identified liberals, identified Alberta Party. Um, so you you had that list to look at in that election, the 2019 election. When it was called, did you go in thinking, OK, I'm going to win or I don't know how this is going to end up? I didn't let on, but I knew when the election was called, we were out. Yeah. And it, it must have been hard to, because you always want to put on a positive face for your campaign team because you have volunteers who are coming in to help out. So I can imagine it was yeah. hard to actually get in there and uh, door knock every day knowing what you uh, you felt. Yeah, it was. But but you did it, right? You you still did it. Oh, yeah. You and, have to stay upbeat. You've got to, you know, support everybody. And so, what, what, looking back on those four years, um, what what what's the takeaway from the four years that you did? What was the message that you you can hold your head up high and say, you know what, this is what I did and this is what I learned about being an MLA and uh, being in that position. You know, I'm proud of what I accomplished. I got stuff that Red Deer needed and hadn't been able to get for 20, 25 years. And that is never going to change. That was done under our watch. And uh, you're happy about how you uh, handled yourself in those four years as well? Yeah, I didn't. I didn't go the negative route. Well, which is good. And I'm glad you didn't because no one should at all. And negative negative ads sometimes can backlash. Um, I asked, yeah, you already answered the next question I was going to ask, but I'll ask it again. Uh, two and a half years from now, another uh, federal, another provincial election. Uh, you have a municipal election next year. You have a federal election anytime soon. Do we see Barb Miller's name on a ballot on any potential level of government or is Barb Miller done with politics from now on? I really don't know. I I haven't made my mind up. Um, My husband had some medical issues the weekend after the last election and um, I just have to play stuff by ear. And um, 
what what advice would you give someone going into politics today? So if a young Barb Miller came up to you today and said, I'm thinking about running for politics, what would you say to her? Um, get yourself some good shoes. Put a smile on your face and knock on a lot of doors. Meet the people face to face. Because if you're not willing to go out to where they're at, they're not going to know that they can come to you. I knocked on doors of people just after I got elected. Like, I think it was two weeks after I was elected, we were out door knocking and people were, well, the election's over. Why are you here? Well, to see what kind of issues you have. What? You want to know what problems I've got? Politicians don't do that. What are you talking about? (laughs) Unless you do that, you're not helping your constituents. Would you recommend young girls of today to get into politics? Oh, definitely. I've got a granddaughter who's going to be 11 next week who, during the 2015 campaign, she door knocked with me. And, yeah, she was... um, She's very political. She lives in Thomas Dang's constituency. And if she sees something that's not right, she speaks up about it. I could see her going into politics. Do you you see her as a future picketer, getting it there on the picket line with the people? Oh, yeah. (laughs) Like grandmother, like granddaughter? (laughs) Yep. Um, uh, My last question for you, Barb, and then I'll let you go here, is... Do you regret anything in the last four years? Actually, there's two questions. Do you regret anything that happened over the, the four years that you could have changed, uh, whether it be a legislation piece, whether it be uh, how you handled yourself in certain situations, or do you look at it and go, I'm okay with how everything turned out? Um, that's really a two-sided question. Um, of course, there's things you wish could have changed, like the hospital. Mm-hmm. That was a huge one. Uh, but I got schools, I got university status, I got um, the interchange, I got the Justice Center. Um, like when uh, I, with the Justice Center, when Kathleen Ganley, we were in the same hotel because it was just the beginning and we hadn't gotten apartments yet. Everywhere was fair game. Street corners, uh, elevators, bathrooms were off limit. But I went constantly, we need a justice center. We need a justice center. Sort of modified stalking. <laughs> and once she said we were getting it, I said, well, I guess I can't st- dock you anymore for anything and she says you know I'm going to kind of miss it but you know that's what we have to do I did um, the same thing to get the runway extension when we first got elected when the feds pulled out of the runway extension at Red Deer Airport so you know you've got to you've got to believe in it and you've got to put the work in and I think I put the work in 
Well, it sounds like you did. And I, I know uh, Ricardo speaks highly of you all the time. And every time that I, he's sleeping right now, I think he's sleeping or he could be just uh, relaxing upstairs because uh, he's not feeling well. Uh, he just got results back that he has the flu. So uh, I did not give him the COVID. Thank God. Um, <laughs> but um, he does speak highly of you and he does say hi. So I, I, I do want to pass that on to you. Uh, my last question, though, is uh, with everything going on in the world right now with the COVID-19, how are you holding up? You know, uh, not bad. Um, go to work, do my thing, uh, make sure all my peeps at work are good. And you've got to realize when someone comes to your till and they go, ah, something's going on in their life. And you just got to take it, share your smile. Every positive kills two negatives, and you just got to keep on keeping on. Perfect. Well, Barb, I want to thank you very much for doing this. Uh, you are one amazing human being. And uh, uh, once this is all said and done, Ricardo and I would be happy to have a coffee with you in person. Most definitely. Okay. Well, keeps in the ledge. Yeah. Well, he misses them too. Uh, he, uh, I can imagine that you guys are all probably going stir crazy in you because for four years you saw each other light, night and day, and you guys were like family. But now uh, you probably don't. Uh, you're not in touch, and with everything that just happened, it would be good that you guys could get together and remember Aaron in a more uh, uh, positive way and a and more intimate way. Yep. Anyway, Barb, I want to thank you very much for doing this. Greatly appreciate it, okay? No problem. Hugs to both of you. Yeah, have yourself an excellent day, and we'll chat later, okay? Okay, bye-bye. Bye. And once again, thank you to our guests for coming in and sitting down today. It was greatly appreciated. As I've said in the introduction, this podcast is about having a conversation. I learned a lot in this interview, and I really hope you did too. This podcast couldn't have happened without our listeners. From here in Alberta to across Canada and around the world, I want to take this moment and thank everyone for listening to this podcast. If you haven't already, be sure to follow us on Instagram, Facebook, or Twitter. The links are in the show notes. Or visit our website at www.crossborderinterviews.ca. We will be back here next Saturday with another great episode of the Cross Border Interview Podcast. This podcast is produced and owned by Miranda Brown and Associates. I'm your host, Christopher Brown. Once again, have a safe and hopefully talkative weekend.